Thank you very much. Um, we are in Daniel. Daniel chapter 4 this morning. And this exile series. Mark, don't move on the slide yet. I'm going to do a bit of a pop quiz, so I don't want the, them to get a sneak preview of what's coming up. Um, and we're in this story of Daniel living in exile in a foreign world and trying to, trying to learn lessons for us as we live in a foreign world, especially a world that's foreign to the king that we serve. What can we learn from the story of Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for our world today? And as we've gone to this story, we looked at a bit of the historical context, and I was thinking about my daughter, Eva, as I was thinking about this this morning. Some people love historical facts. My daughter, Eva, is like a historical total nerd. She loves little facts about things. So if you're a historical nerd like Eva, which is awesome, here's, here's a few facts for you this morning. We are entering the story just, just before 580 BC, today. We started the story around 605 BC, so we're now in the 6th century BC. Does that excite anyone? Most people, not really. But here, here are some cool things that's happening, that are happening around this era, this time period. So currently, well not currently, just after 580 BC, in eastern India or southern Nepal, there's, there's a guy that's about to be born, and his name is Siddhartha Gautama. Can anyone tell me what we know, who, who we know Siddhartha Gautama is today? Buddha, 10 points. Who got 10 grace points? Fantastic, there you go. Of course, Marlene knows. Here's another one. This, this is a little easier one. The Buddha, the guy that became famous for sitting down and thinking really hard into oblivion. Um, yeah. <laughs> Here's another one, though. This is, this is a bit easier one. If you love fortune cookies, another guy was born around this time, a famous Chinese philosopher, and what was his name? Confucius. Let's see what Confucius looked like, we imagine. Maybe. Maybe he didn't look like that. So around the mid-5th century BC, so that's what's happening in the world. And now, there's another more mundane thing that's happening in the world this time. Put up the next slide, Corv. In southern India, the first um, grammar system is being composed in the Tamil Nadu province. So Karen, you've been there. This is where the first grammar system was composed around the 5th century. Does that excite anyone, English teachers? There you go, that really excites Lorna. So that's a bit of the, of the context further abroad of, of Daniel. That's the world Daniel is living in. Some actual real history shapers are being born into this time. But here's something a bit closer. So people we know of, Jeremiah is coming toward the end of completing his prophecies. And we actually haven't heard anything about him. But in chapter 9, we're going to hear about Jeremiah and how he speaks into this. And it's powerful and I have to tackle it, and I'm going to have to read a lot about it. Uh, also, Ezekiel's coming into prov- uh, uh, prominence. So he's the, the up-and-coming prophet, and he's been around. So we all know Ezekiel as well. And here's an interesting fact. Since Daniel and his friends came to Babylon, they were taken out of Jerusalem when it was conquered by the Babylonians, but it was left to exist and ruled by the Babylonians. Well, just a couple years before this, because of a rebellion, Jerusalem was totally destroyed flattened, burned to the ground. We don't hear about this in the story of Daniel at all, but as we enter the story, we're literally just a few years after Daniel and Hananiah and these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just a few years after their home was leveled to the ground. But we don't hear anything about that in this chapter. So we enter Daniel chapter 4, and we're almost 25 years, 25 years after Daniel and his friends came to Babylon. 
When we first arrived, we heard about, you know, they, they refused to eat the, the amazing food of the Babylonians because they didn't want to defile themselves, so no meat and, or sorry, veg and, and water just for us. And that step of faith allowed them to step into God's honor, into God's wisdom, and, and really into prominence in Babylon. Not long after that, the next thing we hear in chapter 2 is that Daniel revealed and interpreted the first dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and that's the first time this huge, powerful man, the most powerful man in the earth, at least in this area, first recognizes not his pagan gods, but acknowledges that Daniel's God, the God of the Israelites, is the God above all gods. Pivotal moment. But he kind of forgot. <laughs> because he had that dream about the statue, as Ali told us about. But then as, as Josh was talking to us last week, 20 years after that, which is a, a fair amount of time to forget, if we're honest, or, or just misunderstood the dream or, or remembered the dream incorrectly, 20 years after that, he then built his own statue or his own image of gold. And he forgot about the God of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And he wanted everyone to worship this statue or they would die. But then 20 years later, Nebuchadnezzar was reminded again of the power of the one true God. They threw Hananiah and his friends in there. And then they stood there with the one who looked like the son of God. And then they just walked out of this fire. And so for a second time, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the planet, is reminded who is the king above all kings. And that's all the first three chapters over 20 years in Daniel. But as we have enter chapter 4, we need to ask ourselves, one of the questions is, will Nebuchadnezzar remember these incredible lessons he's learned about God? So as we enter Daniel chapter 4, we, we leave the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego And we haven't seen Daniel actually in over 20 years. But we're about to enter the story of Daniel again. And and as I was thinking about this, as you read between the lines of the story, all you can assume is that for the last 20 years, which is a long time in fairness, in captivity, Daniel has been doing his job. He's a civil servant. It said there he's head of the magicians, but he, he's, a, he's in the service of the king probably in lots of ways. And he's been doing his job day after day, month after month, year after year, 20 years as a civil servant to the king. He's been, I don't know, bringing wisdom to projects. He's been answering questions. He's been dealing with the magicians and organizing their structures for the week and the, and the tricks they'll do or whatever they do. And we don't know anything about that But all we can assume is that Daniel has been faithful, just every day faithful in his job. And I think the reason we can assume that is because if he hadn't been faithful in his job, he'd be dead. That's what happened to people back then. That's sometimes what happens to people today. But as we enter the story, Daniel's still a faithful, he's still a trusted servant of Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel's been doing his job day after day. And so interestingly, this is totally between the lines of the story. But I think one incredible lesson we can learn from the book of Daniel as we enter chapter 4 and as we come into another one of these few supernatural stories in the book of Daniel is that if we want to be involved in these supernatural stories, but forget it, forget even that for a moment. If we want to be involved in life-changing stories just in single people's lives, What matters 
in this is the tw- what matters in this story is the 20 years in between. How are you faithful day after day with the ordinary stuff? And it's the ordinary stuff, and I say that in massive quotation marks, that sets us up for the eternal stuff. Because Daniel was faithful, he has the chance to step in front of the king. And that's not even the lesson from the text. We're now going to go into chapter 4, but that's a really important lesson to remember as we step into this fantastical story that's maybe in some ways a little harder to relate to. But I want to I stay down to earth a bit because I want to ask us a question before we start. And I'm going to ask you for some audience feedback. So get ready to be a bit vulnerable. Here, here's the question for the day, the ordinary average question for the day. Put up the next slide. Confrontation. I'm not, don't put up your hand, but who likes confrontation? Confrontation with your wife or your husband because of the toothpaste or the toilet seat. Converta- conversation, conver- confrontation at work with fellow employees who are maybe just frustrating or not doing their job. Confrontation with your friend who's in that destructive behavior and how do you talk to them about it? When we think about conflict or confrontation, next slide. I think, we, whoa, <laughs> I was talking about <laughs> Tamil, maybe that is in Tamil, I don't know where that script came from, <laughs> that's translate, so I will, tra- that's in tongues, and I'll, trans- I'll translate that to normal speak for you. As we think about confrontation, what is your default mode? The first one obviously says avoid at all cost. (laughs) So I will not go near confrontation. I know that needs to be said, but you know what? I'd rather just sit on it and it'll go away, won't it? Don't put your hand up yet, but whose default mode is it avoid at all cost? Hold on. The second one is beat around the bush, obviously. (laughs) You know, know the problem, but you say... you're doing something, but it's, I sort of like it, but I sort of don't. And we're just good friends, right? Do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> Who likes to beat around the bush? And the third one, obviously, with those four circles, is no holds barred. Who likes to go in, guns a-blazing? It doesn't matter what the feelings are in the situation because the truth of the situation needs to be dealt with. So here we go. Look at the screen. I want to see who are the avoid-at-all-cost people. Anyone? We've got a few avoided all cost people. Who are the beat around the bush people? Is this the majority of us, maybe? Okay, there's, there's lots of people who haven't put up their hands yet. Who are the no holds barred people? A few of us. Nice. I, I love that we're honest with that. You can take that. No. <laughs> but, but do we wish or do we want a fourth option? Do we want an option that's better than all those four? And as we enter into Daniel chapter 4, we step right into a situation where Daniel has to confront the king, the most powerful man on the planet with a really difficult situation. Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has just had a dream that's re- we've just heard it read from Colin. And it speaks some powerful truth. And I was going to put that back up there. I'm not sure it matters. But 
But how does Daniel respond to that truth? And the recap, and maybe we don't even need to hear it because Colin read it so powerfully and, and amazingly, but Nebuchadnezzar has just had this dream. And actually, here, here's a bit of information. Daniel chapter 4 is actually not the written story of Daniel. He didn't, well, he, he might have written it down, but Daniel chapter 4 is a proclamation of King Nebuchadnezzar. It possibly went out to the whole world, and it, it's also in this book of Daniel. And it's because he wants to tell the whole world what God has done. But he has to go through a pretty difficult story to get to that place. So it's this dream he had that terrified him. And he brought all the magicians and enchanters and everyone in, but no one could interpret the dream for him. So he brought Daniel in because Daniel had the spirit of the holy gods in him. And this dream was about this beautiful tree and it was cut down and it was destroyed. And then all of a sudden it says the tree had the mind of a man and it acted like an animal and it ate with the animals. And then this judgment will last for seven years. And, and we're going to get into more of this as we read on. But verse 17 and 18 is going to be up here, says this. He finishes the first part by saying, The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is what the messenger said to King Nebuchadnezzar. But then King Nebuchadnezzar says, this is the dream that I had. Now, Belteshazzar, Daniel, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because you have the spirit of the holy gods in you. So Nebuchadnezzar's just had a dream that has terrified him. And now Daniel, a servant, a slave of the king, is sitting before him and King Nebuchadnezzar has let the other guys go and he says, Daniel, but, but you can interpret this for me. So what does Daniel do? Pick on the next slide that's going to be useless to us. Does he avoid this at all cost? Does he see all those magicians over there and go, did you guys deal with this? <laughs> I don't want to deal with this either. Do you think it's about him, right? Yeah, it's about him. You know, this is above my pay grade, King Nebuchadnezzar. Just like they couldn't do it, I, that's, that's too much for me. I'll face the death. He could have avoided it at all cost. He could have beat around the bush. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, trees can mean lots of things. You know, sometimes they're kingdoms, sometimes there's people. My daughter Lily has this thing where she goes, I'm not, what did she say? I'm not pointing any elbows about who this could be. <laughs> You know, I don't know. And, and, you know, chopping down a tree. Sometimes chopping means pruning. Sometimes it means chop. You know, blah, blah, blah. He could have beat around the bush in so many different ways. Or Daniel could have come in all guns a-blazing. He could have said, you're right. I have the spirit of the holy gods in you. And you remember what just happened just a couple years ago. You threw my friends into the furnace and they walked out. So you're going to listen to me and I'm going to tell you what the holy gods or actually what my God has to say. He could have come in all guns ablazing. But what did Daniel do? He spoke with grace and he spoke with truth. The interpretation of this dream to Daniel was very clear. And in fact, as we go on from verse 18, it's going to come up here. Verse 19 says this. Then Daniel called Belteshazzar, almost, was greatly perplexed for a time. 
and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let this dream or its meaning alarm you. So Daniel's in front of the king. He's heard this whole dream. And Daniel is so disturbed that it's written all over his face. But it's interesting. He's just in this short sentence. You can see the connection between Daniel and the king. Because then Daniel feels for the king. But then the king feels for Daniel. Daniel, I see this is alarming you. I see this is disturbing you. Don't let it disturb you. And so Daniel takes courage and, and speaks. But he speaks with amazing compassion. Verse 19 goes on to say this, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. My Lord, you can see my face, my heart is broken. If, the, if only this wasn't for you, but, but it's, it's for you. But he doesn't just have compassion and, and there's amazing lessons out of this. He starts to speak the truth to Nebuchadnezzar, but he starts by reminding him of the encouragement in the dream. Verse 20 says this, The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty... You are that tree. I would love to be called that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Daniel has compassion. And then he, he reiterates the encouragement that God is, this is what God has actually already spoken over Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel doesn't stop there and then fluff around with what happened to the tree. Eh, it's pruned or something. Daniel clearly and unambiguously then goes on to speak what he sees the truth to be. Verses 23 to 26. Your majesty, I saw a holy one. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of the heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times has passed for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree that the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Daniel doesn't avoid the confrontation. <clears throat> he doesn't beat around the bush by trying to sort of cozy up what God said to him. But he also doesn't leap in ruthlessly as, as a, as a um, powerful prophet of God and just speak the truth and, and hammer Nebuchadnezzar with it, maybe like he deserves. 
And then he even finishes this by adding his own follow-up to the dream with compassion and truth. Verse 27 says, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Remember, he's talking to the most powerful man on the planet. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness, that's a pretty strong word, by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Even then, it may be then, that even though it doesn't say it in the dream, even though that's not what God revealed, it may be if you repent that your prosperity will continue. I actually think that Daniel chapter 4 is one of the most powerful lessons in the book of Daniel for us. Because I think it's actually the one that can be most clearly adapted to our life in Northern Ireland or wherever we live in the West. Because chances are we live in a bubble of blessing. And the chances are we'll never be conquered by an invading army and, and taken away to Babylon or to wherever. Realistically, chances are we may. Chances are you'll never be faced with the decision to bow before a golden idol or be thrown into a furnace. All sorts of opportunities to to bow or, or to go against our conscience, but probably not to be thrown into a furnace. Chances are, in fact, like the start of the story, you'll never be approached by the greatest king or Donald Trump or whatever. To not, well, he's, you know, he's possibly the greatest king. I don't know on earth. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and asked to interpret a dream for, a dream for him. But every single one of us, every day in some of our jobs, every week, every month, will be faced with times of of conflict, times of confrontation. The person we need to deal with, our wife, our husband, our partner, our friend, that destructive behavior, that annoying behavior, that disruptive behavior. And we'll have to either avoid it at all cost, or we will either avoid it at all cost, or we'll beat around the bush and sort of say what we want to say, or we'll attack it. But Daniel gives us an amazing template here to deal with confrontation, with any type of confrontation. And I just want to go through it really quickly here. And if you've ever been on a management course, you've probably, uh, there's lots of ways to do this, but you've probably gone through stuff like this. Daniel first just simply listens to what Nebuchadnezzar has to say. The first 18 verses of this chapter are just Nebuchadnezzar telling him his dream. So often we jump in without actually hearing what the real issue is. And then Daniel shows, flick on to the next, two next slides, Corv. They're there? Not there. No worries. Listens. And then Daniel responds with care. In fact, he's so empathetic, he's so caring, that it shows on his face that then the king has to respond to him with care because he's so disturbed. He listens. He shows care. And then when Daniel starts speaking, he speaks encouragement. He reiterates what God says or he sees things to encourage in Nebuchadnezzar's life but he doesn't stop there and just fluff the rest. 
And then he speaks the truth he sees with clarity into Nebuchadnezzar's life. This is a huge reminder for us in our workplaces, in our families. I'm thinking about how often I've so poorly handled conflict, even in the simplest things. How we can be a blessing in our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities, in our worlds. If Lord, help us have the grace and the wisdom like Daniel to remember to listen, to, to ask for the empathy to care, to, to, to mine for the words of encouragement before we speak maybe the truth that needs to be spoken into a situation. Amazing, powerful, everyday applicable lessons from Daniel. But I also want to apply this to one other thing because, and it doesn't matter if it didn't come up there because we couldn't read it anyway. I think this, this lesson on confrontation is also so important for how we share our faith. And I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands, but if I were to ask you to put up your hand about how do you feel about sharing your faith, would you put up avoid at all cost? And I just don't know where to go and my friends hate it. Would you put up beat around the bush? Jesus loves you. And that's, that's the whole story, which is a great part of the story. Would you go in guns a-blazing, which doesn't happen as much anymore, but, you know, the preachers on the street, the turn or burn, the what are you doing, you need to turn from your ways? Or would you want a fourth option? And I suppose sharing our faith should not be a conflict situation. (laughs) But the reality is it can be a confrontation situation. Because a massive part of the story of the Bible is that God loves you so much. But another huge, the overarching story is the story of the creator God who is holy, who is awesome, who is powerful, who did create you to love him and to know him and to be loved and to be known by him. But the story rolls out about our rebellion and our sin against him and the consequences for that uh, and i was thinking about it's it's you know and it's easy for us to talk about that with people about the general consequence in the world everyone can accept that there's general consequences of brokenness they wouldn't use we most people don't like you use the word sin but general consequences of brokenness in our world just pop it off even Corb. that's okay thank you very much But are people willing to deal with the personal reality of that? And that's the tough conversation. Are we, are our friends and family willing to deal with the the tough reality of that? Romans 3.23 says, and it's not going to pop up there, but that's okay. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's okay because that's kind of out there. All of us do. All of us make mistakes. But Isaiah 59 says this. Your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. That's a little more personal and uncomfortable. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of your sin is death. I don't like that. I don't like that judgment stuff. And then listen to this, Romans 20, or sorry, Revelation 20. This is an awesome and a powerful and a scary picture. 
Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was nowhere for them to go. It's amazing that when John describes God in Revelation, he doesn't describe him, he describes how the elements react to him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the eternal reality of the Bible. But remember, Daniel's pattern isn't jump in with this. It's listen. It's care. It's encourage, but it's speak truth. But when we read that, we have to be shocked and blown away and brokenhearted for the world around us, recognizing people don't realize the eternal consequences. But the reality of that also set up the beauty of the good news. Isaiah 53 says this. Speaking of Jesus, actually written a hundred years before Daniel, as far as other context to this. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our wickedness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. All of us, we've all left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That was written written, written a hundred years before Daniel which is 600 years before Jesus. In the context of this, all Daniel had was a hope in a holy God. But 600 years later, and then 2,000 years on from there, we have the promises of a holy God. And that's why we can speak the gracious truth. That's why we can speak the encouragement of John 3.16. that's repeated and repeated and repeated, but it's empty without that part of the story. The message writes it like this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. Remember that picture of Revelation? And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. Anyone can have whole and lasting life by believing in him. Daniel lived with incredible... Oh, back up. Brilliant, Corf. Thank you. Then put on the next slide and I will read it. 
This is another incredible promise when we think about approaching the throne. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just, that holy God, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When I am pure and when I am righteous, I can come before the throne. Daniel didn't have that promise yet, but we do. Daniel lived and spoke over up to, this is about 30 years now to the end of the story, which we're about to get to, with grace and truth. But you know what? Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. It's, it's about eight more years going through the judgment that was predicted in this dream until Nebuchadnezzar listens, until Nebuchadnezzar recognizes, finally recognizes who God is. And I thought, that is so similar to our life. I have two friends in my life right now that I'm sharing life and faith with, and they do not want to hear it at all. But the amazing lesson, one of the amazing lessons from the book of Daniel is that the outcomes are not up to us. Don't worry, they're all upset with me and going off to something more important. Enjoy, Allie. They don't like the word of God. An amazing lesson from this story is that the outcomes of even a Daniel's acts are not up to him. Nebuchadnezzar ignored him again and then fell into the outcome of his dream. And the story of the book of Daniel by the end when, when Nebuchadnezzar finally obeys is just 30 years of day-by-day day obedience and faithfulness. And even, even that's tough. But my prayers out of this, we remember the life of Daniel. We remember just that ongoing daily obedience but we also remember this pattern when we're so inclined to avoid the confrontation or to avoid the conversation, when we're so inclined to maybe beat around the bush just about the nice bits of it, or when we just get fed up with someone and rush in with the harsh truth. Can we listen and care and encourage and then actually speak words of truth? And God, I pray, I pray that you can help us do that because I am not good at that. Help us to be your servants that know how awesome your story is. And help us to live it out. I pray in Jesus' holy and awesome name. Amen. Seriously.